You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 93, Pinocchio. Now that's how you do a Disney sidekick. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Mason Smith, animator hopeful extraordinaire someday. And I'm here with my lovely co-hosts, Morgan Straddling and Chelsea Robson, who are true animation addicts. Only the biggest on our show. Only the Yay. biggest. They have the most helpless animation addiction that there can that there is. Mm-hmm. I have no problem. There's no problem yeah. with this. Acceptance is the first step towards being an animation addict. <laughs> anyway, so this is the Animation Addicts podcast. And as you can probably guess, we are all about animation. In every episode, we pick an animated film and we go over everything that we can, everything and anything. Here on episode 93, folks, we are reviewing Walt Disney's uh, Studios' second animated masterpiece, Pinocchio. We're going to have a great episode. We are going to talk about some of the awesome production details that went into this film. And then, of course, um, going through the general story and characters of the film, analyzing them, you know, nerding out over them and, and all around just talking about how awesome this film is. And then if we have time, we'll talk about the live-action remake that's supposed to happen. Oui. <laughs> but you can expect a lot of commentary and full-blown nerdity and uh, trivia and quotes. So strap yourself in if this is your first episode. Welcome, and let's get going. Like Mason said, this episode we are doing Walt Disney's second masterpiece, Pinocchio. This movie came out February 7th in 1940. And like I said, it was the second animated classic to come out. The first, of course, being Snow White. This came out three years later. The studio was Walt Disney Animation Studios. The directors, there were quite a few directors. There were two supervising directors, Ben Sharpstein and Hamilton Lusk. And then the sequence directors were William B. Roberts. Norman Ferguson, Jack Kinney, Wilfred Jackson, and T. He. So, you know, as I was, T. As, as I was looking through, you know, the production notes and whatnot, I just found it very, very interesting that there were so many directors listed in this. There were sequence directors and then supervising directors in this film. And this is notably one of the masterpieces of animation. All of the nine, basically all of the nine old men worked on this film. Um, it just really the culmination of animation happened on this film for the studio, which was great. So going into a little bit more production details, it had a budget of $2.289 million. And then box office, uh, you know, over the years, it has made about $84.2 million. Now that isn't necessarily reflective of the initial release. Initially, they had about a write-off of a million dollars. It just didn't do very well. It was kind of the middle of the war. They weren't able to distribute their films overseas. Um, And so this was very heartbreaking for Walt Disney because he this movie 
was so near and dear to his heart and it was just so good and it just didn't have the reception or even the, you know, scale or playability that Snow White had, uh, which was very sad, but they were able to re-release it, um, later in that decade. And then obviously the last over the decades and the last one being in 1992, very, very prominent. This film has a lot of things that are staples in the Walt Disney company today. For example, when you wish upon a star is basically the motto or the jingle, the theme song of Disney. When you wish upon a star that when you hear that, you just think everything Disney. I I think it has even transcended this movie to just mean Disney. Absolutely. I mean, you hear it all over the place in the parks, right? Exactly. (laughs) And it's the part of the fanfare when you uh, see the intro to a, you know, a video release or a, th- a theater, you know, in the, th- in the theater for a Disney film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned the nine old men. This was actually like the nine old men worked on this, but this was back when there were Disney legends before the nine old men, like mm-hmm. proto old men, nine old men. <laughs> and um, it's gosh, it's such an interesting piece. And. It is a shame about the box office. You know, it cost almost twice as much as Snow White. Like, if Snow White practically bankrupted Walt Disney, then what did this film do to him? This was, like, twice the gamble that Snow White was. But that's just Walt, you know, in these early years. All these uh, crap shoots and and shots in the dark, so it seemed, but it was actually just creative genius waiting to burst forth. This was such an amazing improvement on the medium of animation, though. Yeah, wasn't it, though? They had no walls. They just like, if we can make it better, let's make it better. And each one was so stuck on becoming the very best and making this the very best achievement that they could, that there was just nothing holding them back. And because of that, it was a huge advancing in the medium, period. And, like, think about it. 20 years before this, it was stick figures and rubber hoses for legs and arms and heads traced from quarters and dimes. I mean, this is an amazing leap forward. Wait, hold on. The ratio of uh, Mickey Mouse's head and ears is that of a quarter to a dime? (laughs) That's what they kept saying, yeah. I wonder if that's just slang or if that's like the magic formula that they like <laughs> revealed. I'm just kidding. This, I mean, there's nothing to reveal. I'm sure a lot of people know that. I'm just like not in the know about that. <laughs> I'm going to try it now. Yeah. So I want to go into a little bit about the history of this film because anytime Ooh. we do a fairy tale, it seems Morgan, you know, everyone pulls their little piece of carpet square around Morgan and I open my storybook and I share. <laughs> carpet square. <laughs> Doesn't that bring you back? Because it's so true. Right, and next week we're going to be playing our recorders. <laughs> oh, tr- I get the triangle. <laughs> I get the handbell. Ding. Aww. Ding. I hate it when you got those, and it was only like a note that was played once in the song, and you're like, oh, man. Anyway, going back to story time. So they're actually, so the reason I, I've done this in the past is because there's been some great art books and art history books and history movie making books about the different fairy tales that we've done. So when we did uh, Snow White, there was a great book, two books actually by J.B. Kaufman about Snow White, which were released for its 75th anniversary. Um, and then for Sleeping Beauty, there was an art book that was released uh with in conjunction with Maleficent. Same thing with sleeping with Cinderella, but we didn't really we did that way before the Cinderella art book came out. 
There is actually a Pinocchio book. It's called Pinocchio, The Making of a Disney Epic. It's by J.B. Kaufman, who wrote the Snow White books. And unfortunately, it's been delayed. And it comes out in May, which is about a month after we mm. we released this episode. And it's really sad because I've been corresponding back and forth with, it, with J.B. And, you know, wasn't able to get a copy in advance or whatever, which is totally fine. I'll, I'll get it when it comes out. But it was just... I would have loved to have read that book because so much history that he's able to go into about, you know, the making of, and you guys watched some featurettes that were able to dive into that. But so I'm going to do my best with what I have, which is the internet, but I want to go and really talk about Pinocchio as a story. Pinocchio is based on a book called The Adventures of Pinocchio. It's written by Carlo Collodi and it was published in 1883. Um, a lot of the other fairy tales that Disney had done were based on very popular fairy tales that weren't necessarily attributed to one uh, author. Many of them were Grimm's fairy tales. And so there was a little bit of, uh, continuity in the story there but this one was just just came from the mind of carlo and he had this idea of writing a fairy tale for children and there's so many different things that happen in the original tale of pinocchio and obvious and and obviously if you want to listen to this yourself you can go to rotoscopers.com slash audible and you can download an audible an, an audiobook version of Pinocchio. And you definitely should because I that's I know that's one thing that I definitely want to check out. Um, just because as I was reading through the plot synopsis of the adventures of Pinocchio, there's so much that happens in this book. It's really just very uh, episodic and story after story after story. Well, the movie really only focuses on uh, two, two to three main areas where, you know, he he's going to school and then ends up joining the marionette thing. <laughs> what is that called? Anyways, uh, child slavery racket. Yeah. Well, where he goes to school and then ultimately uh, ends up with Stromboli and then Pleasure Island. And so those are kind of like the two main uh, things that he gets himself in. And obviously at the very end with the whale. But so I'm just going to go really quickly and I'm going to talk about the story of Pinocchio. So originally in Pinocchio, there's just this carpenter. And he finds this piece of wood that's a talking stick, basically. And he gives it to his neighbor, Geppetto. And Geppetto uses it to build a marionette. And so he carves this talking stick, and it turns into a puppet. And since the stick can talk, uh, now the marionette can talk. And so he names him his son. He calls him Pinocchio. Uh, but Pinocchio in the book is just this horrible character. He's He's really detestable. He doesn't listen. Um, while I think in the movies, he's a bit more relatable and coy and just naive, uh, but not this Pinocchio. So as soon as he learns how to walk, he runs away. Um, he's caught by uh, a marionette sort of circus. He takes him into his house. But then when Pinocchio's there, he finds a talking cricket who he kills on accident. So Sia Jiminy. Jiminy's basically at dead very early on in this version. Uh, nice. But he does come back. So anyways, the talking cricket was sort of this conscience who warns him about the dangers of being hedonistic and being disobedient. You really should go back to your father. Um, but Pinocchio doesn't care. So he's while he's at this uh, marionette place, he puts his feet on the stove, falls asleep, and wakes up and finds that his feet have burned off. Dumb Pinocchio. This is just one of many things. So uh, Geppetto at this time was actually put in prison because uh, there were there was hearsay that he had treated Pinocchio poorly, so he was put in prison. But um, he's a puppet. Yeah, and, and anyway, so then Pinocchio returns back to him, and, and Geppetto is so kind, he makes him a new pair of feet. 
Um, so then Pinocchio's like, okay, okay, I promise I'm going to attend school. And then Pino- and then Geppetto just being so kind, he sells his only coat and gives him um, the money to buy books. So on his way to school, he encounters a puppet master, and he has a different name. His name in the books is Manga Fioko, while in the film, it's obviously Stromboli. He doesn't really use him as being a puppet master, but he says, ah, I'm just going to turn you into firewood. But then, you know, gives it feels bad for him, lets him go and gives him five pieces of gold to give to Geppetto. So Pinocchio is supposed to go back and give these five pieces of gold to Geppetto. But then as he's traveling back, he encounters a fox and a cat. Um, and as you, as I'm telling this story, you will realize that there are so many animals in this book, like so many animals. This is just the beginning. They, these don't have names as they do in the book, but the, this fox and the cat, they're swindlers. The cat's pretending to be blind. The fox is pretending to be lame. And they're able to trick Pinocchio to kind of going their way. There is a, a blackbird that's that's trying to warn Pinocchio, saying, ah, oh, these guys are swindlers. Get out of here. But of course, um, the cat just eats the blackbird and they move on. So Pinocchio's like, okay, cool. And so they realize that he has money. And so they're trying to convince him that if they go to this place called the Field of Miracles and he buries his coins in the ground, they will sprout and give them about into a tree that will give you about one to 2,000 gold coins. Pinocchio's like, this is great. So as they're traveling there, different things happen. And I'm just going to kind of skip over some things. But the ghost of the talking cricket comes back and tries to warn them, warn Pinocchio again, like, this isn't really good. But the fox and the cat, eventually they, they ambush Pinocchio again. He tries escaping. But then this is where he meets a young fairy with turquoise hair. Disney calls this person the blue fairy, but in the book, she is the fairy with the turquoise hair. So this is kind of an interesting thing because uh, while Pinocchio is talking to her, there's a bunch of bandits who catch him and they hang him on a tree. So basically, Pinocchio sort of dies in this version of the of the fairy tale. But in the second half, he comes back alive. So you don't have to worry about it. So the fox and the cat, they they leave. Um, but the fairy is able to rescue him. She summons a falcon who comes and saves her. And also she has a poodle that randomly arrives um, and they take her to her stagecoach. You know, they find out that, no, he is not dead. They meet, you know, through do this. There's just all sorts of animals that she is working with. And, and there's an owl, a crow, a bunch of undertaker rabbits, woodpeckers. Um so after he comes back alive, he he starts lying about what happened to him, like what happened to the gold coins. And that's when the nose starts growing. Um, so it's so big, he can't even turn around the room. And she's like, well, hey, when you lie, your nose is going to grow. But, you know, she's being nice to him. So she summons a flock of a thousand woodpeckers to chisel the nose down to normal size. So uh, the fairy then sends for Geppetto. And she then lives with Geppetto and uh, and Pinocchio in the forest. So as Pinocchio's heading out to meet his father again, he encounters the fox and the cat again. But this time they were disguised earlier, but they're not disguised right now. And they 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 just keep wanting him to go to this field of miracles. So he goes to the field of miracles. He plants his gold, um, but he has to stay there overnight. So he falls asleep. And in the morning, the cat and the fox have unburied those and taken the gold for themselves. So this is pretty sad because he he uncovers this and realizes that there's no gold. Uh, he's been totally swindled. 
there's even a parrot who happens to be around there who's mocking Pinocchio. Like, you're so dumb. I can't believe you fell for that. I can't believe you fell for that. <laughs> That's my parrot impression. So, yeah, there's just a whole bunch of stories that involve animals and different morals and things that happen. Eventually, he. I'm going to skip over a bunch of them just because, you know, there's so many. This is so long. But we do. he does eventually meet somebody who's his friend, um, which is Lampwick. And he says, hey, let's go to a place called Toyland. That's a place where you can play hooky all day and you don't have to work. But it turns out when you do that, uh, if you become lazy, uh, lazy boys turn into donkeys. So they go, they play hooky, and then both of them actually turn into full donkeys. Once they turn to full donkeys, they are sold to a circus. Um, so as Pinocchio He's training. He's trained by the ringmaster to do tricks, but then one day he, doing one of his tricks, he falls and sprains his leg, and so then he is then sold to someone who wants to turn the donkey into uh, a drum. They want to skin him and drum him, uh, but to drown him and to kill him, they throw him in the sea, and in doing so, a bunch of fish eat off his his donkey outer skin, I guess, and then it's like, hey, I'm a boy underneath, uh, which is really really bizarre. Anyway, yeah, so he's back to being a puppet. <laughs> and so he's swimming around, um, and this is where in, in the film it's a well, but in here it's called the Terrible Dogfish, and that's where Pinocchio realizes that his father is actually living inside this huge fish, um, and so he manages to save them. But on their way back, going back home, they pass two beggars. It's the fox and the cat again, but this time the cat really is blind and the fox really is lame. Um, and is so thin that he basically has no hair. And they beg and beg and plead for money. And Pinocchio says, no, heck no. Like, you've done all these mean things. Like, this is, this serves you right for like all the wicked things that you've done to me. So they go back home. They meet the ghost of the talking cricket again. He's always there. Anyway, at the very, very end of it, they go back home. Uh, Pinocchio is able to help his father. He's, he goes to town. He saved all this money. Um, but then he realizes that the fairy with the turquoise hair is ill and she's sick and she needs money. So he actually gives it to her, um, and then falls asleep. And then overnight he dreams. He realizes that he is a real boy. He's actually been transformed and his puppet body is actually sitting next to him in a chair, just lifeless. Um, so basically because he was kind in the end to the fairy, uh, he found that she had turned him into a real boy. She also leaves him a new suit, new boots, new bag, and those 40 pennies that he had give her, given her at the very beginning. And, and just, well, the way it ends is, is pretty simple. It's like, wow, he's, he's so shocked. And Geppetto also, you know, returns to being healthy and then goes back to wood carving. The end. So that was my very long and probably somewhat boring, uh, version of Pinocchio, but there's just so many di- wow. different tales that happen. Uh, like I mentioned, there's lots of animals. If you just, there's at one point a dolphin, a, t- a pigeon, a, a serpent, a parrot, an owl, a falcon, a squirrel, just so many animals in this, but uh, a lot of similarities. And I, but obviously a lot of other things. I think adding all these, uh, animal elements to the movie might have made it a bit more less realistic. And I mean, we're talking about a puppet that turns into a human, but for some reason, this movie still feels slightly grounded in reality. Maybe that's just me, but I think that would have just definitely taken in a different angle. Wow. That was a lot of history. A lot. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of material for um, whoever's directing the live action remake by Disney. Oh yeah. Maybe we'll see some of that stuff. Maybe, maybe Pinocchio will go back to how horrible and rotten he was in the book. 
No, yeah, definitely. I think that's the fact that it has so much that haven't hasn't really been used in the Disney adaptation that they can make it something new. They can go and they can have expand out the fox and the cat's role and this, you know, planting the gold coins and all that stuff. But we will talk about the remake later. Uh, we are here to talk about this amazing one, which I doubt the remake will be able to, you know, do better than. But hey, prove me wrong, Disney. I, I'd love to see it. No, stop trying to prove us wrong. Just make it original content. <laughs> well, you, we say original, but like most most of Disney's stuff has been inspired by like fairy tales and, and storybooks like this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's real anymore. But anyway, <laughs> if you are not convinced that the film Pinocchio is a true animated masterpiece, then you will after this episode because we did our research, we took it, we took in the movie, digested it. We're gonna see what comes out the other end. <laughs> Ladies. And gentlemen, the master showman, that's me, and by special permission of the management, is presenting to you the one and only Pinocchio. Pinocchio, the story of the wooden puppet who wanted to become a real boy. I'm going to school. That's the stuff, Pinocchio. And set off on a fantastic adventure with a very special friend. Cricket's the name. Jiminy Cricket. Pinocchio. What's happened? It's thrilled generations of audiences with its spectacular animation. Its memorable moments. And its unforgettable music. It's the most breathtaking movie of the summer. You are a real boy. And you're invited to share the magic with your family. I think it's swell. It's Walt Disney's classic, Pinocchio, for anyone who's ever wished upon a star. Production notes after watching the making of featurette. Uh, this was the, uh, I thought it was interesting. This was the first Disney film to use maquette, like, models, like, physical sculpted models as a guide for animating the characters. So they actually made models of all the characters so that they could animate on model, as it were. And you can most blatantly see it uh, when Pinocchio hops off of Stromboli's stagecoach, you know, after escaping mm-hmm. from his cage. You can see that the stagecoach was obviously rotoscoped. Well, how did they do that? Well, they made a model and they just filmed it, you know, going down a little model road. And so that's how they got their frames. And that was Bob Jones's work. He was a master puppeteer, apparently, who originally came to Disney Studios trying to get Walt to produce puppetmation features. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Like those old, old, like Alice in Wonderland animations that Walt did like as a student or like not even not a student but like way way before he even founded Disney and so uh, Bob Jones is the one who originated this technique and of course it happens all the time now in animation Uh, a lot in in VFX you know uh, Weta uh, who did Lord of the Rings and and The Hobbit they they do that a lot Mm -hmm. but um, you know if you go to the animation pavilion in in Epcot I think it was they probably moved it or switched it around by now but um, I got to see the maquettes for Dean Hardscrabble uh, of um, Monsters University. Ooh. 
Yeah, and that helps the in, it helps in in 3D animation. It helps the modelers, you know, stay on model and the way they pose the maquette can give a clue as to what kind of um, you know, what kind of rig or what kind of uh, you know, movements they can achieve with uh, the model. So we still use it today, but uh yeah, it was it originally happened at, D- at Disney Studios with this film. And so this was the um this was like the the first time I really really sat down and paid attention to the film. I remember seeing this when I was like 4 or 5. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course I didn't retain much, but I know bits and pieces. I always grew up watching this film, so I can't, there's no recollection of me seeing in theaters at that 1992 re-release. However, ah. we, this was always one that we had on VHS and that I'd watch from time to time because, you know, I watched every Disney movie, of course. What animation addict doesn't? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm embarrassed to say it took me a very, very long time to like consciously, you know, as an animation addict, watch this film. And so I'm glad we did this episode. And so I, I flipped it on, and I love the first thing you see is RKO Radio Pictures presents. I was like, hey, <laughs> awesome. Old school. <laughs> totally. Um, RKO, they were the distributor for the first two releases of this film. So this initial film in 1940, uh-huh. it was re-released later again. But then anything after that was released under the Buena Vista Pictures uh, moniker. Oh, so. well, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right, so we open up to the old storybook. Uh, my favorite. This is this is definitely something that is a Disney classic. They started with Snow White. They continued it with this. There are many others that did so as well. And you know, I love this, but at the same time, I I, I love this movie. I'll just say that the animation is beautiful. But you definitely see um, where they weren't as advanced as nowadays, and particularly you know when the the book is just part of the background paint painting or layout mm-hmm. it's beautiful yeah. it has a lot of depth texture but then you have to open the book and so you have the background painting of the book actually opened and then you have a cell on top that is supposed to be the cover and some of those initial pages and once you flip that switch it it just doesn't look as good because you know you can't add a lot of texture and animation because you have to add texture on every single cell so it's usually very flat um and it just I noticed that as someone who kind of dissects animation. So when they were flipping the page or even when it it did make that switch, I was like, wow, that cover suddenly looks much different. It's (laughs) so much more simple. Um, But you you do what you can back then. Uh, That would be something we would even talk about nowadays with animation. But back then, that was something that they really had to consider how to make this book move um, while still looking like part of the the film in the background. Absolutely. Have you ever watched an animated movie and... The scene is supposed to have something that's not supposed to move, and it moves, but you can totally tell it's going to happen because it's painted as a cell instead of part of the layout. Yes, yeah. yes. Or it, it happens a lot in like old Hanna Barbera cartoons, like Scooby Doo, you know, from the '60s and '70s. That's the first and, thing uh, that came to my mind when you said that. I yeah, like, absolutely. It's like, in, it's like back in the day. Did did anyone? Did, was anyone fooled back then? You know, I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, it's very interesting. Probably the casual viewer. Yeah. At that point, they should have just, um, well, I guess Jiminy Cricket is animated, so he opens the book, you know, with his little umbrella cane thing. So I guess they couldn't use live video. Hmm. But anyway. So another thing that Jiminy mentions here, which I guess I never consciously put together until just actually watching this film this time, but the film is set in Italy. Um, I know we talk about all these European fairy tales and Belle is from France and, you know, 
Anna and Elsa, they're from Norway-esque. Uh, but there's never really anything from Italy, but this Pinocchio is totally Italian story, uh, which I thought was really, really cool. And I know people are going to be like, Morgan, how do you not know that? But I don't know. I Stromboli, you think I would know, but eh, <laughs> it was just a name to me. <laughs> it's think- not important to the story, I don't think. No. Well, I no, think the it- main reason why you don't realize that is because um, two of the Two of the art directors, you know, you had Albert um, Herder, who was Swiss, and Gustav uh, Tingrim, who was Swedish. And they were the ones that went in and did all the background paintings. And if you look at it, it's like you're looking, you're not in Italy. (laughs) You are definitely looking at Switzerland slash Sweden slash, you know, Northern Europe. General Europe. Yeah. Hmm. Like slash general up there. Like I mean, the fact that you've got you know all of these wooden carvings, you know, in everything, all of these faces in everything. That's not something you would normally see in Italy or in Italian type art. This is something that you're definitely going to see in you know once you go a little bit to the north or in Germany, Austria, Sweden, you know, that whole area. You know, you look around the intro, and there are other books. You know. Lying around, there's a Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, so it's kind of a foreshadowing, as it were, of future Disney classics. Definitely. And then we open with, uh, it's kind of funny, you get uh, open with Jiminy Cricket, and he's kind of like the narrator who was also a big part of the story. You know, it wasn't always this way. Let me take you back to the first time I met Pinocchio, you know, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) met that little jerk who didn't listen to what I said. (laughs) Yeah, he should have opened with that. But anyway... um, and then he's, uh, of course, singing the um, titled song, you know, the you know, quintessential Wish Upon a Star. Hits those high notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where you are. <laughs> you know, I just love Jiminy. And he comes up and he's just like, pretty, huh? And, I'm, and first off, when I was younger, I just saw Jiminy and I thought, yeah, okay, I didn't really notice that these things were pretty. But then you look at it today and I, I can really really appreciate the fact that the book is gorgeous. The whole design of everything is gorgeous, like immaculate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he's just like, pretty, huh? And I'm like, yes, Jiminy. Yes, it is. He's just, it's just an amazing achievement. Yeah. Yeah, definitely con- definitely contained in those two words. Can we just all agree that Jiminy Cricket is the perfect Disney lovable sidekick? Yes. I'll agree can we just, that. Can we just yeah. etch that out in stone? Do you want to know why? I'll tell you why. All his humor is good-natured, and it's not crude or toilet-oriented <laughs> or, you know, overly energetic, you know, or hyper or whatever. It's it, it's impossible not to like him. I've never met someone who told me, oh, Jiminy Cricket's so freaking annoying. Like, no, any, the only person who would probably say that is, like, Hitler. And, Whoa. And, And Stalin and Mao. I don't know. But Jiminy is great. It's impossible to not like him. He was just designed to be this perfect companion to Pinocchio and a means to kind of humanize the movie and, like, bring us down to, um, I don't know, to, like, just a more simple level. Because, like, I don't know. He's got, like, a great humor about him. You know, he always has something kind of witty to say, but it's not sarcastic, you know. He's not flawless, but at the same time, like, it's impossible to not like him. I did notice he really goes after female wooden puppets in this film. He's gaga over them. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, 
it'll lead you to tem- to temptation, Pinocchio. And then he like goes right after the the cute wooden puppet who's going <laughs> around that alarm that cuckoo clock. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, you know, mo- there are a lot of moments in this film that I'm like, yeah, that probably wouldn't be included. By the way, one example of this is the cuckoo clock with the mom spanking the kid. Like, <laughs> awesome. wow, well, he's got that- his hand in the jam. Who wouldn't? I, I know, but I'm thinking. One, that definitely wouldn't be cool nowadays. Two, I really want that clock. It was actually oh, a real clock. <laughs> they made yeah. that. It, Did like, you know that all the cuckoo clocks are, are, are model, like real models that they animated and looked at? Which They're also like, designed to be perfectly functioning in the, in the universe of Pinocchio. I don't know how. No, in real life. Like they were all functioning cuckoo clocks that they huh. made. So yeah. that they could see how things move and make it as most as realistic as possible. Yeah. I'm like, I want one. Give yeah. me, ooh, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> now, Jiminy Cricket was uh, principally animated by Ward Kimball. Uh, that's a name you should know if you claim to be a Disney scholar. Um, so in Snow White, he actually worked like eight months on this sequence for Snow White where they're like eating soup, and I haven't seen all of it. I saw clips of it, oh, and it was. The soup sequence, this uh, one that got him so mad. The, the oh, old yeah. soup sequence. Yeah, he, he worked eight months. Imagine imagine working the better part of an entire year on one animated sequence by yourself and all the energy and all, like, you know, the artistic, you know, rapture that comes with achieving something like that. Um, and then it was it was eventually cut. Walt called him into his office and said, that it's not working, it drags the pace of the story, and we're cutting it. And of course he was disappointed, crestfallen, you know, devastated. But after that, Walt asked him uh, to sign on to Pinocchio and that they were going to animate a character called Jiminy Cricket. They asked, and he asked uh, Ward Kimball to animate him. And so that's kind of a thing that happens a lot. It took me a while to realize... All of the work, one, that goes into animated films, but how much is cut until I started working on, like, my own little short films at school or whatever, working on Wake, this short film that I'm working on um, animated, you know, uh, here at A&M, and just how much material is cut just to make the story flow and just to perfect it. And we're talking about weeks and weeks and months of work by the animators, and it's just obliterated. Mm -hmm. And it's this really interesting thing. But if this ever happens to you, if you're like a budding animator or an animation student, don't be, don't take it personally when your director cuts material that you animated because heck, you could be animating the Jiminy Cricket of your production right, right afterwards. It's true. But it's just something that happens in the industry. It's a hard, he, it's a hard truth. He was actually going to quit right after that and really? leave. But, uh, well, all over a bowl of soup. Thankfully, he was saying. And now we have his great uh, portfolio of work that we can admire on the podcast. Well, what's funny, I mean, think about it, though. Eight months, that's like an entire school year. If you're like putting in terms of that's six, six times. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, this is insane. I would be very crestfallen if I were that same way. Um, but, yeah, Thanks. it's I love how when you look at Jiminy Cricket, there is absolutely no semblance of a cricket to him. No, he looks more like his voice actor. Yeah, he does. (laughs) He does. He's got the eyebrows and everything. Mm -hmm. Talking about voice actors. So this was actually one of the films that really implemented the use of the celebrity voice. And I know that we talk about like 
oh, you know, celebrity voices, it's all about that nowadays. But really, this film for Disney, since Snow White was such a success, Walt Disney said, I want to capitalize that even more with these voice, these celebrities. And so he got some of the biggest guys at the time to to play the voices like Jiminy Cricket and whatnot, which is uh, definitely not something that was really seen for Snow White. So anyone getting mad, including me that, Oh, it's all celebrity voices nowadays. I mean, whatever, all the back in the forties, the fifties, the sixties, they were celebrities. I just don't know who they are. I only know (laughs) them from that film. So, right. (laughs) Well, Hey, Disney did it first. And I always look to uh, Prince of Egypt as an example of you could have celebrity voices and still have an amazing film. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, the celebrity voice actors that they got for this film, did you know that Mel Blanc, a.k.a. voice of Bugs Bunny, the man of 100 voices, or a 1,000? I don't know. I'm the man of 100 voices. Yeah. 1,000 <laughs> voices. But anyway, uh, he actually did voices for this film, but his lines were eventually cut. Yeah. He was um, Gideon, the, Gideon the, the kitty cat, the dopey one that hangs around with Honest John, <laughs> who's another Thank great character. <laughs> The only anyway. thing that they kept was a... <gasps> oh, yeah, the little... <laughs> when he's dunking the uh, the smoke ring into his beer. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing more nasty than that. That's disgusting. <laughs> oh, man. That's, oh. that's a great gag right there. Yeah. I mean, it's it has been so long since I'd seen this movie. And I'm really trying to figure out why this doesn't have such a high replay value for me. I mean, mm. it's not for his lack of aesthetics, as we talked about. This this film is amazing. But yeah, why why don't you guys think it had such a good replay value? Well, we never bought the VHS, so we never had it as part of our collection. So I glossed over it for other films. And I mean, going over, over to a friend's house or at, at school, like it was probably a, a low chance that we would watch Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. I don't think this, if, if I had like a three-year-old, I wouldn't, I would play a different Disney film besides Pinocchio. It may not be as popular with young children nowadays because it has such dark themes. I mean, think of it. Pinocchio like faces constant menace uh-huh. throughout constant. this whole film. Constant. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, there's a few uses of the word jackass. And um, there's smoking, drinking, and there's a horrible donkey transformation sequence that's yeah. been described as something on the level of Alfred Hitchcock in terms of horror. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, um, and so there's a few elements that are just dark. And it's not that Snow White wasn't dark. It's just that Pinocchio just has... This constant uh, impending doom and destruction looming over Pinocchio, who is literally a puppet. He is controlled by everyone around him and has almost no um, agency of his own. Yeah. You know, I grew up watching this film, like I mentioned earlier, especially when I was little. And this film did not convince me to start smoking. I did not think that drinking alcohol was a great thing. Or going to a place called Pleasure Island where you can sit around and do nothing (laughs) was a good thing. No, you don't do anything. You you do all the things that bad boys do. Uh, I I wouldn't have been allowed. It's only boys. But, uh, yeah, I I, I feel that, you know... I feel like we give our kids not enough credit. Obviously, a film like uh, Watership Down might be a <laughs> little mature for the, the youngins. But this one, well, it does have some scary elements, as the MPAA would probably rate it. Uh, I don't think it's so terrifying that it's unwatchable or, you know, terrifying for a child. Yeah, yeah. I, this is All just right. something that I'm coming up with right now as, like, 
it's really interesting the whole the fact that you know when you wish upon a star is the anthem of this movie and of disney in general and yet it is so dark it's just it's kind of funny the the two sides of this coin that it plays mm. we live in a dark dark world Mm-hmm. I mean, they, a lot of people would call this era, like they were trying to go a little bit darker with the, with the art and they called it kind of like the Rembrandt, uh, effect. Ooh, interesting. Um, so uh, maybe that's why, I don't know. It's just dark in general, but. Well, I think they, I think they cited Rembrandt in No Strings Attached, which is also an NSYNC album, but it is also the, uh, <laughs> title of the making of feature at, but I think what they meant by Rembrandt is to have kind of this Baroque, almost Gothic um, uh-huh. tone as far as like color palette and light. Right. But you're also right about it being, you know, darker tone. Absolutely. And it's in the dead of night, actually, when Jiminy Cricket hops, hops, hops over to Geppetto's uh, workshop. I love the uh, hopping motion. It's a point of view shot. The first, oh, so the, the very first first person sequence it's almost like a found footage movie in a Disney film <laughs> in the in the in the forties, but uh, much much better executed than, of course, a Watership Down's zooming shots, uh, as we discussed in the last episode. <laughs> it's funny how it was like almost twenty, more than twenty years later, but um, it just did not ma- match the mastery over the multi-pane camera si- uh, system that Disney did in in this film. Oh, they mastered it. Would you agree? It's just. Awesome. Oh, it's so beautiful that I, when I think of excellent multiplane, I think of the scene in Pinocchio where it's school time, he's going to school and they're just panning through the town. Right. When it's morning and it, it yes. starts with like the, the pigeons or the doves and, and mm-hmm. the bell tower and then it just yep. keeps going on and on and on. Yes. It's so good and it's just so well done. Um, that is one of the best scenes of this whole film. Absolutely. So interesting, they, I went to the Walt Disney Family History Museum, which Mm -hmm. is in San Francisco. I went there last year. I was on a school trip and I made an effort to go out there by myself to visit this museum. And when I have tons of pictures, you can follow me at Morgan Stradling on Instagram. Um, Also, it's on the Rotoscopers Instagram as well. If you just scroll back about a year, you'll see some (laughs) really amazing photo. I basically, every photo was up there, Um, but they have this multi-plane camera. I'll include a link of it in the show notes. Um, And it's two stories, basically It, it. So it, um, when I was looking at it, it, I was on the second story, and you can kind of look over this railing and see uh, has how far it goes down. But it's it's so incredible the technology that they use to create this. And this was actually one of only three multiplane cameras in the world. There's one still at, at the Disney Studios. There's one at the Walt Disney Family Museum, and then one is in France. Where in France, I do not know. Someone asked Weird. me that. I just know that the tour guide who I kind of made friends with was. Well, he wasn't a tour guide. He's just a worker, and I was asking him lots of questions. But, yeah, it's in, in France. So if you're over there, let me know where it is. <laughs> awesome. If you know the location of the third multi-pay camera in the world, <laughs> tell Morgan Stradley. Yep. And so we're introduced to uh, Geppetto, you know, and he has two – he really only has, like, two close friends with him, One of, and they're none of them are human. Uh, one of them is uh, Figaro – the kitty cat. And then the other one is, uh, Chloe? Cleo? Cleo. Oh, Cleo. Little goldfish. Cleo's pretty cool. 
But Figaro rules, man. <laughs> I mean, if they make an, an if they ever make an animated sequel for Disney's Pinocchio, it should be called Figaro's Quest. <laughs> Mason, no, we already have enough horrible sequels. <laughs> that sounds no. too close to Patch's Adventure. Yes. Oh, that's, that's right. Not okay. <laughs> also, uh, what is it? Scamp's Adventure from uh, Lady and the Tramp. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. What did I say? Patch. Patches. Oh, well, Patches well, is Patch from does 101. Have one, doesn't he? Yeah, and he has like Ash a whole, goes on an film. adventure, and then Scamp goes on an adventure, and it's basically the most popular uh, child. Should have done a mashup. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know about y'all, but I, I got major nostalgia slash uh, deja vu when he goes music professor, and yes. uh, they start that little song. That's from one of my uh, Disney sing along yes, video. Yes, I had that one. And, and I, yeah. I'm totally with you with the nostalgia because I know exactly where that sequence ended. It obviously ends where Whoa, Figaro is look, on that one. <laughs> looking at the... Uh, I love um, that joke. There's like a little edge where so- something falls into the crack. And, and yeah, he's got like a trench around his living room. Wooden head. Boom. And that's, where the, <laughs> that's where it ended. Absolutely. I love how he's, how Geppetto's just messing with Figaro. He's like petting him. Oh, so cute. Whoops. <laughs> and he makes Pinocchio kick him in the butt. He's like, oh, already, already acting up. He's a jerk. <laughs> Figaro's like, what the heck? I wasn't doing <laughs> <Unprovoked>. anything. <laughs> All right. And, um, one thing that struck me in these sequences, you know, in the candlelight of his uh, workshop were the hand animated shadows. Like, just think of the perspective and, mastery of perspective that it took to do that you know this is before cg lighting of course that's one thing that i noticed definitely i noticed it in the um, marionette scene where the i got those strings like there's so many shadows Mm -hmm. in that and it's just the attention to detail that they put into this film and the extra effort that they they did was was wonderful and it just added so much depth to the animation which i thought was great yeah absolutely so speaking of Geppetto a little bit, I, I think he is so adorable. Like Pinocchio, he's almost naive. Um, he's just yeah, he's cute, cute and yeah. old. Uh, so what do you guys think about him? Hey, any man who enjoys a good smoke before going to bed uh, <laughs> is all right. Knows, with, has good priorities. Oh, yeah. tobacco use, everyone. <laughs> Watch out. If you thought that was bad, just wait till they go to Pleasure Island. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you I gotta think take a cool. long draft. <laughs> that kid. What's his Lamp- name? Langsby or something? Lampwick. 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 That's right. What a what a maroon. But you know, like I want to know a little bit more about Geppetto's backstory. Is he a widower? Was he married at one point? Has he always wanted a kid? And I, where did this come from? Because yeah, he you know after he goes to bed and takes a smoke, he he says his prayer and he says, "Oh, Figaro." Look, a wishing star. And then he goes and, and wishes on the star, which, um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if this was associated to Disney or not. And I did research just to double check, but yeah, starlight, star bright. It's an old English nursery rhyme. Um, uh, it's not necessarily native or originated from this film, although this is one of the very first film appearances of this, uh, nursery rhyme on film or tv which is pretty cool so you know if you don't know what i'm talking about it's the starlight star bright first star i wish tonight i wish i may i wish i might have the wish i wish tonight which i must admit i've never actually said those words to a star but i got to i need to oh i totally did and you've <laughs> never wished upon a star <laughs> see 
The funny thing is, when I was younger, I would do that, and then I, I told I was hanging out with my uncle one time, and I was like, "Yeah, but you got to be really careful not to wish on a plane because that one just doesn't work out for you." <laughs> and so we changed the words just for fun. We're like, "When you wish upon a plane, all your dreams will fly away." Oh for no! When you wish upon a plane your dreams don't come true oh, <laughs> it was kind of one of those pretty evil. songs <laughs> it was really funny it's pretty good pretty good yeah that's interesting um i don't know if you if you really want to get into it i think this whole story is just an allegory for the struggling small business owner <laughs> geppetto wants yes. to feel needed he doesn't want people to just come into his shop and decide if they feel like spending their discretionary income on <laughs> his wooden puppets and, and alarm clocks and trinkets. He wants to feel important in society. So he wishes up a, a boy of his own to raise. And boy, does that backfire on him. So yeah, maybe that's a little too looking too into it. But uh <laughs> but yeah, Geppetto's, Geppetto's pretty cool. Not my not my absolute favorite character, but I mean he's pretty solid. I don't not like him. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I mean why? How in the world is he able to sleep with all of that noise around? Well, people who snore just get used to snoring. <laughs> Boy, does he snore? Yeah, he's yeah. like a monstro level of snoring. I uh, I really like that one. That one's part of the. Uh, if you play Disney, seen it, the DVD game. That's one of the uh, the scenes that we would always we would always get when we had to do like a your play or a, or a art <laughs> all play or something like that. I love that line. It's one of my favorite all time Disney quotes. After all, enough's enough. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine what it must have been like animating all those clocks at once and like syncing them up to sound. Yeah. I yeah, that's beyond my levels. Yeah, mm. for sure. That's why I'm not an animator. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting is you look at this the songs and the score okay, in the in the song like Give a Little Whistle, I will say that like come on now. Um when you saw the saw kind of make its little like noise, that is not the sound of a real saw. Just saying, I oh, should know. This is from the studio <laughs> that brought you Steamboat Willie, where nothing makes the sound it's supposed to. It's true, <laughs> but you know, if you look at this one, it actually is really amazing. All of the sound effects that were put in here. You were talking about the monstro and his noise and the, oh the just the the sound that that makes. And I even think they went they they lowered a microphone into the seventh circle of hell to do that. <laughs> yeah. And they found all these really cool instruments that, you know, it's like like the the sound of magic is what they would call it. It's like these little harpsichord Oh yeah, things. they had the um, this old electric piano was like the first one ever made and it had this kind of eerie noise. Yeah, I remember like, watching that. That's that's cool. Um another really cool thing is the this was actually the very first Disney feature to win both the Best score and best song. First one. And that honor actually wouldn't go to them again until Mary Poppins. And then not even again until the 90s when, you know, Alan Menken came around. Um, so this was a big deal. Hats off to the composer, um, who did a really amazing job with this. Yes. So speaking of the score, um, I have the Walt Disney Legacy Collection. So oh, okay. the Walt Disney Legacy Collection, they released the soundtrack, but they also have a bunch of additional stuff. So Chelsea was talking about the composer, Paul Smith. He was one of the composers on the film who, who did the score and very beautiful. He has a very iconic sound to early Disney films. Um, but in this, 
uh, version. Basically, it has the whole entire score. It takes one whole disc. And then the second disc is Cliff Edwards, who is the voice of Jiminy. He was a very well-known singer at the time, but he... It's just really interesting because usually they have bonus footage. Like for Mary Poppins, there's a whole entire disc just of interviews that the Sherman Brothers and Walt Disney and everyone had with uh, P.L. Travers. Really, really interesting stuff. But this one, there really isn't much for Pinocchio that they could use as bonus. So they used some of Cliff Edwards did some other songs for Disney, um, which were mostly like sort of the Mickey Mouse Club sort of stuff. Like one's called Stop, Look, and Listen. <laughs> Eyes will tell your feet, just, you know, how to tell you to look left and right before you cross the road. So, yeah, that was actually, this is probably one of the most disappointing legacy collection CDs, just because those bonus things on disc two, first off, there's only two discs. The other ones have like three or four, are just so irrelevant to the actual film, other than the fact that it's the same singer. But anyways, yes, the, the but the score itself is very beautiful. I had it in my car for a long time and, and loved it, so... It also also has the other songs that are on there. So Hi Diddly D, When You Wish Upon oh, yes. a Star, every every song is also on there as well. So definitely check it out if you're interested. Uh disc one is slightly better than disc much better than disc two. There's <laughs> actually three people that you could cite as being like the creators of the score. Um so uh, the other two is one is Lee Harley and the other, and the Ned, Ned Washington. Washington. Ned Washington did all the lyrics for, you know, When You Wish Upon a Star. And Lee Harley, he was actually on some of, he was the composer on some of the early silly symphonies. And so if you ever remember that, that one is like the band concert where, you know, you've got the it's Mickey trying to compose Wait. in the park, but it's like everything's going wrong. No, that's the tornado. Ba- <laughs> yeah, that's the band concert. And then there's the, the music land one. The music land one I thought was my favorite because it had like the cello trying to marry the bass or something like that. And so you just have all of these. Instead of of lines, they're just them like plucking the strings of that instrument. Yeah. As, as their voice. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And Morgan was talking about it one time and said it was like this score was very literal. And I'm really certain that it had a lot to do with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So Geppetto wants Pinocchio to be a real boy. He's like really into his own craftsmanship. Kind of egotistic, don't you think? I'm just kidding. <laughs> he could, he could almost be real. He wouldn't be cool if he was real, but like we just didn't know it, you know? And then, uh, um, of course he gets his wish because he wished upon a star. Duh. And oh. so in comes the overly rotoscoped blue fairy, who's like this idealized woman from the forties. Uh. Blue fairy. J- Jiminy Cricket's like, mm, mm. <laughs> Even he knows. <laughs> But uh, she's she's very much out of place, and I I can guess as to their motives, as to why she was rotoscoped. You know, maybe they're trying to match the perfection and and, and ideal, um, you know, persona that Snow White had. You know, yeah, it's, it's weird because everyone else is cartoony and has a very specific style. I look at Geppetto, yeah. Pinocchio, um, the cat, and. Uh, Honest John and Stromboli, like everyone is characterized in a bit, not super realistic. And then you have her, a fairy of all things, super realistic. We're not deviating from the, you know, the footage. She is what she is. She's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I think she's oh, that, an that example deep, of getting that deep it right. Voice. But, oh yeah, sexy. Right. I love that voice. Can you say that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we can. If if we say if we can say jackass and piss off, <laughs> we can say sexy. <laughs> Anyway, I love the part where he's like, the name's Cricket, Jiminy Cricket. And the Blue Fairy tells him to kneel. 
I thought she was introducing herself as Neil. Is <laughs> <laughs> that cricket. low voice? Neil. Neil. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, oh, okay. Um, it's kind of awkward. You're a dude. Anyway. <laughs> Man, that would be really progressive of Disney. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been. So, yeah, she's like the perfect, perfect woman. You know, comes in, bestows the gift of life, sort of. But there's a catch. Isn't that always the way with fairies? Like, I'll give you give you what you want, but there's a catch. At the it's stroke true. of midnight, you know, if you prick your finger, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway. they, they don't they don't have full powers like maybe witches and stuff, but like Maleficent, she knows everything. Um, when I watched the uh, you know no strings attached the uh, the feature at uh, oh you mean the, the NSYNC music video not, not the NSYNC album no 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 no. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. Was that your joke? No, no. I already, I already said the joke earlier. It's oh, fine. okay. Sorry, sorry. Now it is an inside joke, and we can keep. Whoa! <laughs> and the joke will keep repeating. Yeah, I watched in the uh, I watched in the documentary that like in early production, he was kind of like Woody, you know, early early versions of Woody from Toy Story. How Woody was kind of like a nasty, not likable character, and uh-huh. of course they revamped a lot of the story and characters to kind of make it more lovable. Thank goodness that they did. Um, Pinocchio was kind of the same way. He was more like. Uh, well, it's just not likable. And, um, you know, thanks to Morgan's history lesson, we now know why, because the source material called him to be such a jerk. <laughs> but anyway, and so uh, he's kind of clanking around because he just became painfully aware of his own of his own self-consciousness. And uh, Geppetto's like, what the heck? There's like a person in my workshop. Brings out this old pistol. And the way he holds it, do you think that Mr. Smee could have been a distant relative of, <laughs> of Geppetto? Try your luck, Mr. Smee. <laughs> <laughs> and the speech is like, <laughs> anyway. And so he's like, real boy, let's dance, you know. Geppetto's way of celebrating is to have like a jubilee dance party in his, uh, in his own shop. Who wouldn't? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a pretty good point. <laughs> Why not? Have you noticed that everything in Geppetto's workshop has this like hand carved, handcrafted quality to it? Like everything has personality mm-hmm. to it. It's craft. Yeah, even his candlesticks, you know. I guess that's what he does in his hobby. He's just like that's like walking into an artist's house and they have like nothing on their walls, or the art that they have on the walls is like stuff you would buy at Target. It's like really mm, expected more. No, that's no, I don't know. I don't know. You if that's need to a, be more like Geppetto. Not a great analogy, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like I'm like way too narcissistic with my art to not put it everywhere. Like my, <laughs> my office has a lot of like my digital paintings and sculptures and stuff. See, that's cool. Yeah. It's cause, cause you're rad. Half, and half my desktop backgrounds are from like animation tests and uh, assignments from school. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway. And then we go into this, uh, we transition to the next morning and this is that brilliant, brilliant, uh, camera work with the multi-pane technique, um, where you just zoom in and out of these, you know, architectural, you know, forms and then you see people walking around town and it's in, this brilliant perspective, you know, it's not cheating anything or taking shortcuts. And this is something that can't be achieved when you hold the camera down vertically on top of the background pane. They had to literally turn the camera horizontal and like guide it through the layout panes. So it was kind of like a a rotated, a different axis that it was running on. And uh, that's pretty interesting. I guess that's how they got, they did the illusion of like, peering around the corner and going around the form of the building, you know, to, to look at other people and then, you know, finally to rest outside the workshop. And uh, it's just mind-blowing. I really envy the days back before everything was just 
I don't want to say easy, but possible to do <laughs> with CG. Yeah. Last week for my sci-fi class here at A&M, we watched Total Recall, which was made in 1990. And most of the film is done with uh, makeup effects, miniatures, um, elaborate you know, hand-built sets. There's only a few shots that incorporate CG. And it, it's got so much personality. And it made me think, golly, like, what would it be like? I, I would love to, like, just go back in time when no one has ever heard of an Intel processor <laughs> or uh, or an Apple computer, you know, or Pixar uh, or, you know, Industrial Light and Magic as we know it now and just try to work these effects out practically with physical objects. I, I can't I can't believe it. I, I'm day to day. I, I The more I, I watch more of these uh, old Disney classics, I'm just humbled and blown away by these uh, old animation and technical legends mm-hmm. of filmmaking back then. Anyway, let's have a moment of silence for them. <laughs> so, yeah. And then he has to go to school. Like, you have to go to school? Why? I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you don't need school if you're an actor. <laughs> hey, why? Don't you want a shortcut, kid? <laughs> goodbye. Uh, and he's like, goodbye, son. Hurry back. And so it starts. If he only knew. <laughs> Would you believe in about 24 hours you're going to be in the belly of a whale? <laughs> well, I love and it's that. It's all going like, to be his fault. <laughs> Actually, you've your been fault around. for wishing on that stupid star. It's like Pinocchio's been with Geppetto basically 24 hours. You, you think he's he even a little trained? More- yeah, he needs a little bit more adjustment before you send him out on the world alone. I mean, I don't know. Bad parenting example number one by Geppetto. Okay, there will yeah. be many more, but mm, yeah, no. Absolutely. I mean, in, in, in Mary Shelley's book, Frankenstein, as soon as Dr. Frankenstein creates his, his monster, the monster like freaks out because of the sudden shock of being alive. Like he, you know, he should be an infant and being helpless, but now he's like a full-grown man who can move and talk. And you really don't see that with Pinocchio. Maybe we'll see that in the gritty reboot, you know, sure to be <laughs> heavily, heavy on CGI and sure to star Helena Bottom Carter and any of the other stars of Harry Potter. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Pinocchio just irritates me with his decisions, but I guess that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah, you know, and when we were going into this this film, I thought it was really interesting taking a look at like, kind of a snapshot of sleeping, or I'm sorry, of Snow White and Snow White. It, you can, it's very debatable, but you would, I would say it's more of a girl type movie, um, hmm. just because it's you know based around uh, the heroine. And then Pinocchio is more of the boy type movie because really it's just talking about boys and how they need to be grow up and be good boys. You know, the blue fairy comes and says, "A boy that won't be good might as well be made of wood." And Ooh, nice. it's it's really interesting <laughs> the type of marketing that they had toward this for this movie. Um, obviously, during this time, they were a lot more able and it was a lot more acceptable to have a movie. Um, the whole point of the movie is to teach a value or to teach um, a lesson. You look at nowadays techniques of writing and everything it's kind of looked down upon because it kind of seems like you're preaching a little bit but in this time period it was totally acceptable um Mm. and i just think it's really i i I always say interesting but it is interesting (laughs) to look at the the how they treated both sides of the you know the male and the female points of view for these movies yeah yeah so right right at this point we're introduced to good old Honest John and Gideon. Um, it's really important to just never trust anybody who calls himself Honest John. <laughs> yeah, never trust a Disney character whose Disney gloves are off-white. <laughs> Not pure white, like Mickey, you know. With holes in them, right? 
Oh, they got holes in the fingers. My gosh. Um, yeah. Dead giveaway that he's evil. <laughs> okay, so if you think he's evil based on white gloves, we've talked about other things that make a character bad in animation. So we got he's wearing white gloves. He has a horrible, crooked nose. Oh, totally. What else is there? Uh, his face is triangular, mostly because he's a fox, but also because he's a Disney villain. It's true. Most Disney villains are, uh, unless they're surprise uh, story twist villains, you know, like Lotso. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> they will typically be a triangle, you know, triangle shape as far as their character design. Triangle shapes. Okay. Okay. Right. The triangle <laughs> of evil. <laughs> oh, uh, they have to have a, a twisted sword. Oh, a twisted sword, which which Honestron doesn't have, but if he had a sword, it would probably be twisted. Yeah, yellow eyes, that's another one. Mm. Uh, that's more of a Clayton, uh, Clayton kind of trait. Clayton and, and Scar. Well, I think Scar had green eyes, actually. But anyway, so yeah, it's the off-white Disney gloves that I, I noticed. And, uh, of course, they refer good old Pinocchio to Stromboli. A.K.A. the king of squash and stretch. Stromboli is amazing. I love, I love his character. And I love that part He's a at, the pimp. Vi- at the very end where he just does that dance with his bum. Oh, like, what is happening? <laughs> and Pinocchio's like, no, no. I thought he'd be like, no, not Constantinople. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, he's very, uh, he's very fluid, very boisterous and loud. Uh, I say he's the king of squash and stretch because, uh, we used his character as, an example when we went over the 12 principles of animation at, at BYU when I was taking hand-drawn animation and uh, we, we we went over some uh, scans from the Disney archives of Stromboli shaking his belly <laughs> you know so what what's an example of Stromboli squashing and Stromboli stretching well it's it's not necessarily he doesn't stretch like very he's not very elastic in his stretching but if it, it's just a law of physics in the cartoon world if you squash you have to stretch back to your original position and so um you know where he he laughs and shakes his gut and it's just kind of boring you know and then of course the uh there's a lot of fat rolling when he does his little constantinople dance you know <laughs> here's an yeah, so. interesting thing he's mm. actually the same voice as the coachman oh the uh the english guy who takes them to pleasure island yeah I had totally forgotten about him. But yeah, why does Stromboli get uh, why does uh, the coachman guy get upstaged by by Stromboli? Oh, Stromboli's just he's Italian. (laughs) The Italians are much always much more um just giant and big in their movements, and then the English guy, he's he's just hiding in the background very menacingly and you know who the coachman is money. he's like the guy who owns the insane asylum in beauty and the beast he is yes. he's extremely sinister but he's not the main villain and he's often overlooked but just as creepy and horrible mm-hmm. as the main villain I, well he's actually more creepy and horrible <laughs> i, I mean, love it stromboli at least like his was just you know let's go around the country and make some money he just wants to be rich yeah but, uh, coachman's got this like Countrywide donkey <laughs> importing racket that involves <laughs> right. like horrible transformations. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Stromboli, he just wants to make money. He's a he's a master puppeteer. Actually, he's a master at at guiding the orchestra, and the puppeteers. We don't even know who they are. Mm. Stromboli doesn't even touch any puppets. And so this is the part where Ultron, I mean, um, Pinocchio does the uh, iconic Got No Strings song. How does he get his voice that high? 
because he hasn't yet hit puberty, so he's able <laughs> to hit these amazing notes that ah, no one else can. Yeah, Have you the ever heard of the Lord of the Rings count soundtrack? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, that, that this the song that um if you ever watch like a parody video of something horrible happening and they really want to up the dramaticness, they always play that song that plays when they scramble out of out of um Kaza Doom and Gandalf is dead and Frodo's like crying and it's like super emotional. <laughs> but anyway. So yeah, um Pinocchio is an amazing singer and he's okay. They, they actually like him. You know, because he's this amazing wooden puppet who can move without the use of support cables or whatever he says. And uh, I love um, the mad Russian guys. There's this part where they're just spinning like Tasmanian devil. They just appear as like a little dervish. And uh, <laughs> and then they pause just in time to go, hey, you know, because that's what Russian dancers do. And then, of course, Stromboli reveals his extremely sinister plot to just keep Pinocchio as his, like, entertainment slave to make him money he doesn't doesn't even give pinocchio a share except for this like this like fake tin can thing that he got i love how every time stromboli gets mad he like makes this like high-pitched whinnying noise like and then he like starts cursing people out in italian i want to see if anyone can like translate those lines i'm not even sure that they are real lines yeah who knows it might be just italian gibberish (laughs) so yeah stromboli's a jerk he just wants to exploit Pinocchio, and he's like, and when you're old and can't do it and not as active anymore, I'll cut you up for firewood. <laughs> Waste not. But yeah, he's evil. And uh, this is a, one of the most frustrating parts because Geppetto is out looking for Pinocchio, right? Oh, it's sad. Well, I, for one, it's these, these brilliant, brilliant shots of the stagecoach and the thunderstorm. Like, it's like opaque fog, and you can, when the uh, thunder strikes, you know, ACDC style, you can see the lightning reflect off of the stagecoach, and they achieve some really, really cool things. But I hate films where someone is searching for another person, uh. and they like barely miss each other, <laughs> or they're like right next to each other. And they don't they don't realize it. They're like in the same place, and it's so dumb. And I just described the entire plot line of August Rush, but um, <laughs> but it, I hate films like that. Well, you know, in the the writers' room, they're like, "Oh, you know, it would be awesome when no. they're in the same place and they no. barely miss each other. Oh, it's gonna create so much tension. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it." But no, it's like oh, it's been done a million times before, and it's so annoying. It really is. Just, oh well, it has it has to happen to get it the does. audience drawn in with Geppetto's quest to find his horrible son who doesn't listen to anybody except the wrong people. I love the part where Jiminy calls him over to that flower that he's hiding, and he's like, "You turn around. You tell him." Now you're not going to go with him, you know? And then all of a sudden he's like, bye, Jiminy Cricket. I'm going to go be an actor and smoke and drink and crap. You know, <laughs> Jiminy's like, why do I even bother? I don't even want this stupid badge anymore. <laughs> anyway, you know, I was wondering at what point watching this, uh, this time around when they would introduce the old nose mechanic. It's really not integral to the plot at all. You know, no, not, not like on Shrek two where they're trying to like push a button or something, and Pinocchio can't <laughs> quite reach it. He's like, oh, just tell a lie. Well, like what? You know, like you're wearing women's underwear or something. Oh, I'm not wearing women's underwear. <laughs> His nose doesn't grow. But I think because it was so integral to the book and, you know, just one of these key elements that has become a, a part of society or like a, a, a phrase in society. It's like, oh, you're lying so much, your nose is growing. That 
it, you can't really have a Pinocchio film without his nose. You know, even though it doesn't really do much, but it's a great moment. I love when he grows so big that there's a bird nest. <laughs> uh, yeah, the birds just spontaneously grow yeah. and hatch out of eggs. It's like, oh, that's a pretty powerful thing. Well, it's it's very visual. Like, there's yeah. that's one of those things. That, um, it's clear as the nose on your face is that it's a lie. Like, okay. Yeah. This is something that you can definitely tell. Um, but even then, like as a kid, like that was something that you just remember. Your nose is growing. <laughs> Cause I mean, obviously what, what is there worse than for, you know, to go to school and know that everybody can see that you're lying like that? Hmm. Interesting. Oh, what does the blue fairy say? You tell, you tell so many lies that they just blow up in your face or, or I don't know. What was she saying? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, if you go to DisneyQuotes.com, I'm sure you can Oh, really? You know, I've heard that's a great site. I know it is. I, I hear the admin is so amazing. Yeah, basically. Quotes. Yeah. 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 Top of the line. Yeah, yeah. So uh, now we're, you know, during this rainy night, you know, Pinocchio escapes, I, I guess. And uh, then he, then we, we go back to old Honest John and Gideon. They're sitting at the bar. Always dunking, dunking their cigar smoke rings like donuts into their beer. Gross. Not cute. It's definitely not cute. Anyway, ladies, you can do better than that. If you're dating an honest John, take a good look at your life. <laughs> but anyway, um, and uh, they listen to the coachman's proposition, luring young boys to a place called Pleasure Island. It's not what you think. Um but it's uh, and it's all part of this grand scheme to make himself money, and gosh, it's just so terrible. And um, they catch up with Pinocchio by un by some unlucky chance. They tell him it's allergies. I love his doctor's like diagnosis. Close your eyes. What do you see? Nothing. All right, open them. What do you see? Spots. It's worse than I thought. <laughs> and then they convince him he has allergies, and that what he must do is go on a vacation. Now, I happen to know from experience that just because you're on, uh, you know. A, being on vacation with allergies is not pleasant. And just because you are on a vacation does not mean your allergies will magically go away. You know, that is a very sad thing to know when I'm right. I'm right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Pleasure Island is brilliant. Everything a rambunctious boy wants to do subconsciously and they just let him do it. (laughs) Whole model home, uh, you know, available for deconstruction. My favorite is the rough house it's just a silhouette of this giant mosh pit slash brawl of boys like do they are they not concerned for their safety there's like broken glass everywhere like ugh. oh well it's proof that um you can let boys be boys and they won't hurt themselves sometimes (laughs) (laughs) i beg to differ all right my brother was in the hospital way more of the times than he should have been Uh, oh well pleasure (laughs) island so you know what's something i noticed this time around is that freaking coachman guy, he has these weird creatures under his control. I first saw them when they he told them to close the doors and lock them to Pleasure Island. You know what they look like? They look like Heartless from Kingdom Hearts. They're just yeah. like these shadow people with white gleaming eyes. And then you see them again stacking up all the crates and, and you know, uh, herding all the donkey children into mm-hmm. into their pens. Poor donkey kids. This one can still talk. What does he do with the <laughs> that ones that so talk? That was so sad. Well, I, I don't know if I they just like stick them in that quarter until eventually they transform or nah, give them more crazy beer. Points. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It, it's it's a crazy racket this guy's got going. <laughs> I love um, when 
Pinocchio and Lampwick, they're kind of just playing pool, hanging out, doing their thing. And, and Jiminy Cricket comes in. He's like, Pinocchio, so this is where I find you. How do you expect to be a real boy? Look at yourself, smoking, playing pool. Oh, he's My so God. appalled that they're playing billiards. <laughs> yeah, one of the worst vices out there. <laughs> I guess it was always seen as a vice because of where people, because of pool halls in the atmosphere. You know, I can get that, but it just doesn't make sense to me. I love, I love the part where Lampwick starts transforming and he doesn't notice, but Pinocchio sees it happen and he looks down at his beer and he just tosses it. Then he keeps watching, smoking a cigar and then he keeps watching it. Then he looks down at his cigar and just tosses that away. (laughs) And then, uh, it's, it's, it's scary, scary what happens to Lampwick. Yeah. Well, I thought it was awesome how at that point in time they did his full transformation in shadow form. Ooh. And I was just like, oh, that's Creeper. His his hands are clawing at, at Pinocchio, you know, begging for help, and then they turn into hooves. Yeah. Well, that'll creep you out. I think that was actually one of those points that, like, freaked me out as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty positive you know, I'll, it did. Yeah, I'll never look at a donkey the same way again after this film. Like, <laughs> were you once a little boy... We went to Pleasure Island and started drinking and smoking and carrying on <laughs> and playing pool. <laughs> Speak to me. Can you tell me what happened? I can save you. Just let me know. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever notice how Pinocchio just kind of magically gets rid of his donkey ears and tail? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He keeps them. Yeah, until he's transformed back. Oh, okay. Yeah. They could have just thrown him into the ocean and the fish would have eaten his donkey (laughs) extras. That's so weird. (laughs) All the weird crap that they wrote back then. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so he finally escapes from Pleasure Island. He has to kind of hit rock bottom, as it were, figuratively, because they they clamber up a cliff. It's like, it's the only way, Pinocchio. Okay, that was a question I had. Is that cliff the same cliff as what the queen from Snow White fell off? Oh, interesting. Centuries before, this very spot, a wicked witch tumbled to her death. <laughs> Disney yeah. theory, Disney theory. Absolutely. <laughs> Geppetto's related. <laughs> yep, Geppetto's related to Mr. Smee, and uh, <laughs> it's the same cliff as uh, Snow White. No, honestly, if, if you watch it, it looks exactly the same. It's like they have to climb up the same rocks, as, and then they have to fall off. Uh, we'll, we'll have to do a, a, a shot-by-shot analysis. Side-by-side, yeah. I don't yeah. think they were to the point where they had to reuse animation <laughs> stuff to save money, but you never know. Yeah. That wasn't until the 70s. We'll have to check it out with the dove. <laughs> uh, apparently, according to No Strings Attached, not the Unseen album, but the making a feature at Fert Pinocchio, um, that was the Blue Fairy taking the form of the dove. And that just makes it a lot of, a lot more religious than she was in the first place. <laughs> it was a plot hole. And I was like, meh. I never really thought twice about it because, I mean, she was a fairy after all. Oh, I saw right through it. The note wasn't written by Geppetto. It's got, like, gilded gold type on it. All right. Anyway. So it's like, meh. You just go with it. Of course, Figaro and Cleo can't tell them where Geppetto went because Geppetto took them with him. He really, really likes that cat and that darn goldfish. Yeah, exactly. I was impressed that he took the goldfish, honestly. Maybe they're, like, too important to, for him to leave out of his sight. You know, maybe there's... Maybe Figaro, you know, maybe he knows some nuclear launch codes and he's afraid to let him <laughs> into the wrong hands. And, and Cleo, like, carries Ebola or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh Geppetto's a lot more sinister than we thought. 
<laughs> I'm just spouting out ideas for any uh, any Disney guy that's uh, you know any worker at Disney who might be listening for the, uh, the live action Pinocchio. <laughs> yes. And so of course they go underwater and they're looking for Monstro, the baddest of the bad. That underwater sequence is pretty amazing. Is I mean, Monstro the largest monster in any Disney film? Sheer mass. Can you think of one that's bigger? Uh, the dragon from Sleeping Beauty. Ooh, the dragon's pretty Eventually, big. Eventually, Ursula becomes quite big. Yeah, she becomes oh, yeah. mega Ursula. She reaches her <laughs> final form. She I think she's the only one that she really evolves. comes. All right, all right. So Monstro is definitely up there with the heavyweights. I think Monstro is a boss in Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> really? Of course. Yeah, I think so. I, I sometimes I peruse the uh, the villain, the Wikipedia, the Disney villains Wikia, uh-huh. and for uh, they had pretty good comprehensive profiles on all the characters. And of course, if they ever appeared in one of the Kingdom Hearts games, they they show their their in-game sprite character, you know, and uh, they describe you know the battles that Sora and, and the gang have to go against and stuff, you know. So anyway, Monstro is. Amazing. Yes. Like, that's probably the only thing I'd be interested in actually seeing in the live-action version. Like, please don't mess up Monstro. <laughs> there was this uh, this trailer that came out that was, like, kind of a proof of concept for this movie called Leviathan. And it's literally Moby Dick in, in space. Nice. Where these mining crews are mining, like, an energy source off of... And they're harvesting them from these giant leviathans. And they're literally space whales. So if they pull off something like that for Monstro, depends on who's directing it. If it's like Tim Burton or something, um, then he can, you know, really up the, the, the imagination as far as design, but just make Monstro huge and scary, please. You know, mm-hmm. Geppetto's in there. He's been swallowed up and he's like, poor, and he's like, poor Pinocchio. He was such a good boy. Yeah. For like five minutes. You don't know him like we know him. <laughs> you haven't seen the other side of this Pinocchio. He does not listen. He does not do anything that he's told. Yep. He lies. He lies. The lies. But, I like the I like the underwater sequence. Yeah, I mean, it was just crazy. The the technical feats are ah, my goodness, just the way you could totally tell it's underwater. Just. Amazing. Yep. I mean, all I can say is, wow, is when they're like swimming away from Monstro, you see, you look at the cells on Geppetto and he just looks so real. He just looks so fleshed out and detailed. It's just amazing. Yeah. And I just think, you know, there were s- uh, several teams working on just the water in the waves. Oh you know, my as far gosh. As special when, effects. when Monstro's going after him mm-hmm. and all that water is splashing around. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's mind blowing. Really cool. That, that was masterminded by an artist named Josh Metter, I think. And, um, it, he was just like a machine turning out this water splashing. And it doesn't have to be realistic. Mm-mm. That, that's the thing about, uh, special effects, um, that we, we've been, I, I read about this in my sci-fi class is that they don't have to be rational, but they have to, they have to appeal to your common sense. You have to be able to look at it and be like, oh yeah, that could happen. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's a very, very interesting um, achievement if you can get the audience to get into that zone, you know? But yeah. yeah. Excellent. Like, when Monstro just crashes down on this, the whole screen just covers with water. I think at some points, like, they try to simulate the water hitting the camera and just splashing in front of it and all sorts of stuff. Like, when it crashes up against the rock when they're trying to get into that little grotto and then, of course, the sea, like seafoam receding after Geppetto gets washed ashore. 
it's just like I can't even begin to think about how they animated that. So many like layers and and the timing very, of it all and my goodness. Very very carefully. That's how. Yeah. Right. And that's how we spent two million dollars. <laughs> well, heck, you know. But yeah, um, it just goes to show you that in all this film is just artful. Like it's just it, it really showcases the animation art and what it could do. Does it have its flaws? Yeah, like I the story's kind of wacky, you know, and a little disjointed at times, but man, the art form is just it doesn't need to be streamlined and, and clean and crisp because it's it's like it's like you're looking at a handcrafted work of art that's constantly moving in front of you. And that's uh that's something you don't see in a lot of animated films. They got very serialized, you know, back in the early days and and this one, uh, Pinocchio definitely stands out as like a, a massive achievement of the art of animation. Mm-hmm. It's, it, that's the reason why uh, the the cover, sl- you know, the slip cover of the book, The Illusion of Life, which is the you know pretty much the encyclopedia on Disney animation, it, it features uh, a layout and a bunch of animation cells of Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. In fact, they they cite that that movie a lot in The Illusion of Life. I need to get my hands on a copy of that book. I've read parts wow, of it. Wow, I can't believe I have an art book that you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am the connoisseur. I'm the collector. Which, isn't that, yeah, that's a character in uh, Kung Fu Panda 3, I believe. Maybe not. Ah, the collector. Maybe. We'll see more of them. Anyways, we'll find out next year. Mm-hmm. So, we end, and Pinocchio is turned into a real boy. I'm a real boy! Not that Pinocchio. <laughs> Five shillings for the possessed toy. Take him away. <laughs> oh, Shrek. Yeah, the ending is very abrupt, and it does not match. It, it does not match the energy and peril of the climax of the film, which is, you know, of course, Monstro attacking them. I feel bad about the ending. It's just like, hey, let's uh, dance around my living room, and that, and you know, that's it. And tomorrow you're going to school. <laughs> what? You know, and all this know. ends. All this ends, and then then the guy from Arrested Development comes on, and, and that's why you don't skip school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was super naughty and naive for like ninety five percent of the film, and he does, he does a, a good thing. He saves the dad. It's great, but he shows I mean, that he's brave and kind, and the other thing. I feel like he has to prove himself a few more times to see if <laughs> this was something that would stick. This is a one-time yeah. thing, or or you've truly changed. But hey, she knows his heart, so. You know what's interesting about this film is that none of the villains become defeated in this film. Honest John is still out there. The <gasps> coachman is still out there. It's true. Monstro is still out there swimming sequel around. Sequel time! <laughs> How did they not see this as the perfect opening for a sequel? The only one, I know, right? The only one who's not, the only one who does get destroyed is Pinocchio's former naive disobedient self. Hopefully. Uh, but he could come back at any time. That is the true, the true story of these times. Man versus self, as in, as opposed to man versus man or man versus nature. Man hmm. versus self. Or man versus robot. <laughs> personal favorite. We never or have a man chance. versus Godzilla. And we all know how that ends. <laughs> anyway, oh. what did y'all think of the ending? I thought it was too abrupt and kind of silly. It didn't have me emotionally is the thing. And that was probably the main issue I had with this film growing up. And why it didn't have a lot of replay value. Um... Yeah, you got it and you understood that, you know, the lesson that they were trying to teach and everything, but it just didn't get you emotionally. Yeah. I personally thought that 
um, child boy Pinocchio was kind of creepy. Man child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like his design, I don't know, maybe just because it is so abrupt, but I just like, oh, I don't really like you as a boy. <laughs> Go back, go back. It's like when Beast turns into a man, you just want him to turns go back to... Stefan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. That's why so, he goes back to the Beast in all the, in all the you know, offshoot. Yeah. So before builds. we rate it, I asked our listeners on Facebook and Twitter, um, in your opinion, why is Pinocchio considered an animated masterpiece? So Ooh. some of our answers on Facebook were... From Suzanne, she says, because all the legends that worked on it and the flawless classic animation. Rodrigo says, first feature animation to have all the animation principles, expansive backgrounds, and lots of money for development. Lots. Another Suzanne, Suzanne Marie King, says, because it is animation in its most perfect state. Every bit of the movie fits flawlessly together. The direction, the design, the story, the characters all weave together flawlessly. The emotion brought by its daring and still frightening subject matter pushed the medium as far as it could go. Asha says, because of the quirky, beautiful, exquisitely detailed score that acts as music, sound effects, and a vital storytelling device all rolled into one. Okay, there are about a thousand other reasons I could cite, but this one never gets enough credit in my opinion. <laughs> a few more. Zachary Miller says, when you wish upon a star, what else do I need to say? Frank Foster, the characters, I would say, is a major reason. They remain timeless along with the story. Gemma says, so many firsts in animation and technology. Masterful artwork on screen the whole time. Frank Morris says, it's a real joy. And lastly, Tim Tran says, everything of the film is done to almost perfection. Iconic scenes and music, iconic characters, terrifying villains, the best 2D animation, the themes and its terrifying subject matter are relevant in any era and teach people major lessons, perfect direction and storytelling and lighting, perfect voice work, haunting imagery, still one of the greatest films that pushes through family-friendly boundary into American animation. So I would say people love this film and people really appreciate its artistry and direction and everything about it. Yeah, absolutely. The vote is unanimous. So what do you rate it? Dang. All right. Rating it. Do I give it a five stars? No. I still like Lion King more than this one. <laughs> oh, it'll never compare. But can, can, can Pinocchio go up there with Lion King as a five star animated film? Four and a half stars. I feel bad rating it at five stars. My reason being is that the the story just does not wrap up well for me. Um, I wished his nose thing would have been more of a, more of a, a factor in the story. But as far as the artwork, like how can I ever criticize it, you know, or, or vote it low four and a half stars, Pinocchio. <sighs> so I'm going to give it also four and a half stars. I think this movie isn't necessarily one that I would be gravitated to, to watch all the time. However, every time that I do watch it, I really enjoy it. And just like all those, um, everyone on the Facebook page had said, it's just masterfully done. The backgrounds, the voice acting, the characters, um, someone else on Twitter had mentioned how, Every single one of these characters is enjoyable and relatable. And even, even the, the bad guys and the good guys, you, they're all very pleasing. Um, and I think that was, that was true. Every, every character was great. And I think just because what this did for animation as a whole and for the studio, it was also one of the films, you know, preserved by the Library of Congress. It's just so timeless. Um, I could watch it anytime and really love it. So four and a half. I also give it four and a half stars um, for all the same reasons you guys put out, but also just like it, it was hard for me 
like I said, to get emotionally involved with this, but it was aesthetically a gem and something that you just, you're really able to just appreciate even, you know, as you get older and everything. Um, but as a kid, I just remember watching this. I could, I think I've probably watched this maybe five times, even though we've had it, you know, on, we had the VHS from way back when. So I obviously had many opportunities to watch it, but yeah, it wasn't one that I would go back to for those reasons. But like everybody has mentioned, and as we've talked about multiple times, it is gorgeous and a feat in animation. Like a out of the blue, fate steps in and sees you through one our voicemails. This is where you, the listeners, get to provide your feedback, your thoughts, your reviews of the movies that we are covering here. Our first voicemail is from Mark. Hey, Morgan, Mason, Chelsea. It's Mark. I'm just calling because I heard you guys doing Pinocchio as your next uh, podcast, so I'm really excited for that. Pinocchio is my second favorite um, film in the animated Disney canons. Yeah, like I said, I'm excited. My question um, that I have for you is that... uh, in 2000, uh, Disney made like a TV musical film called Geppetto, which kind of like retold the story of Pinocchio, but from like Geppetto's point of view with, you know, Drew Carey and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Usher, etc. So my question is, have you all seen this film? And if so, what did you think about it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember seeing it when it aired, but I don't remember much of it and I have no desire to see it again. I remember the marketing. What That's was about it about? It. Geppetto. Just from Geppetto's point of view? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it was a musical, I remember, and it had a lot of big names in it. But yeah, it wasn't something I was... It it just had an off-putting feeling to me, and I never watched it. It doesn't have good reviews anywhere, basically. Let's not talk about it. To the next email. <laughs> Our next one is from Sarah. Hi, Lotus Peppers. It's me, Sarah, again. First, I'm going to give you all a quick story of Pinocchio which I love. Actually, I was in the production of Pinocchio. I played Jiminy Cricket. True story. Um, I haven't watched this movie in a long time, but I have very fond memories of it. Um, I'm pretty sure that this was one of the movies that I borrowed from someone and never gave back. Um, but it's a classic, and I have a very soft spot for this movie, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. I'm not so excited for the remake, though. I'm not, like, against it, but I'm not like, woo! Yay! Anywho, and I, you guys had a lot of conundrums in the Watership Down episode that I thought I might be able to answer. First off, I think it was Morgan that said she didn't understand a lot of names in the opening sequence with Ella Herrera. Yes, that's how you pronounce his name, which I only know because it was in the Tales um, washed down book, which I don't recommend so much. It wasn't very good. That's El Aherera, which I pronounced completely wrong in the movie. They're like, Aherera. Also, apparently in London, a couple of years ago, there was a stage production of Warship Down, and it looked weird. I'm going to be doing a Warship Down themed video on my page, The Master's Domain. 
Anywho, I can't wait for your review of Pinocchio. Um, I hope you guys have a great day. Bye, Morgan, Mason, and Chelsea. I love you guys a whole lot, and have a great day. Bye. Good day to you, Rotoscopers family. Uh, Ryan Pareto here with my review for Disney's Pinocchio, Disney's hardest-to-spell animated classic. This movie provided so much entertainment for me as a child. It taught me a couple things. One, never trust an Italian gypsy. Two, whales are an uncornered real estate market. And three, people who worry about young, impressionable minds are way off base. This movie contains children getting drunk, smoking, gambling, and vandalizing. I watched this movie all throughout my childhood, and I barely gambled anymore. Can you mind I'm 26? All in all, this animation was amazing. And that being accompanied with the unforgettable When You Wish Upon a Star really helps a youthful mind from focusing on the crazy voodoo of having children transmuted into a beast of burden. Oh, and that kiss between uh, Figaro and um, Madame Cleofish was animation genius. Disney was breaking down barriers long before we knew it. And I can't tell you how many times I've backflipped into a source of water just for a kiss. I uh, give this movie uh, four can-cans out of five. And if I could just suggest something to make the show a little bit better, Chelsea, more Thundertube. I love that thing, which is why The Incredibles is probably my favorite episode, because it's so Thundertube heavy. But I got a fever, and the only cure is more cowbell. Oh, 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 okay. And, Mason, if you could impersonate Christopher Walken, that'd be really cool. All right, thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, so our last one is from Mark again. Uh-oh, doubleheader. Hey, Morgan, Mason, and Chelsea. This is uh, Mark. I'm just calling. I have a question for you guys. Not really particular to any particular podcast, but just a general question. I was wondering, do you guys think that Walt Disney Studios will ever go bankrupt. Do you ever believe there will be a time where Disney will cease to exist? I mean, we know in the past there have been many animation companies and film film companies who have come up and they've made films and they've died out eventually. But it seems to me, and even in Disney's own history, we've seen where they have been, you know, at, at the brink of going bankrupt, but then, you know, uh, got success after. So the thought just came to me like a couple weeks ago and I was thinking about, do you ever think that Disney will ever, like I said, cease to exist? I mean, for me, that's a very, like, scary thing. I just can't imagine a world without Disney. So, um, yeah, do you ever think Disney will ever cease to exist? And if so, do you think this would be in our lifetime or, like, in a few generations later? Looking forward to hearing what you have to say. See ya. Bye. All right, so he's talking about Disney, and, you know, there were times where Disney almost went bankrupt. There have been lots of studios, I think, of Filmation, Animation, Don Blue Studios even, that just don't exist anymore. So do you think that any of these big studios, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, will ever go bankrupt and disappear? Well, let's start with Disney. No, that one is here to stay. (laughs) Uh, Disney films have, have like, the biggest captive audience besides Star Wars, which, oh, is now owned by Disney. Um, So that is uh, so meta and they will they will never lose uh viewership well what about uh, the nor will they go side? bankrupt on the animation side mm-hmm. now they'll, they'll keep making animated films they almost stopped yeah well i don't think they're going to make that mistake anymore but uh you not know it would be frozen. tempting it would be tempting to not 
focus that much on your animation when you've got such mega franchises as Star Wars and the entire Marvel universe. Well, not yeah. entire, but they're starting to gulp down the rest of the <laughs> of the IPs that are left uh, to other studios. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Disney's here to stay. Nothing's ever going to happen to it. It sure as heck it can't go bankrupt from legal trouble <laughs> because it's invincible. Along with the other major studios in California, of course, they will never be sued out of their money. They're too giant. I know people like um, like to stir things up with the whole DreamWorks thing. Like, oh, could they be finished once and for all? You know, just because a studio is going through a hard a hard point doesn't mean it won't bounce back. Honestly, I think I would like to disagree. Um, and I would just say that it is only dependent on the type of leadership that they have. For example, many of the other... Um, studios that have gone, and I'm thinking mostly in, you know, just in, in the smaller studios where it's like one head guy. If it doesn't have the leadership to continue past the vision of one person, it's gonna stop. Um, hmm. so that's, that's one thing like that Disney does have. They have a really great way of building up other leaders around them. And so, especially over the years, like, and then I think that honestly, I think that people and leaders are driven to those types of opportunities and those types of businesses so that they can continue. But if they don't have that, then it is, it is going to slow down and it's going to end up not having the same uh, stamina as when it does have a, a leader that's really pushing it forward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think these big studios are here to stay. The only reason they would become obsolete is if some other studio like rose up, took all their talent away from them and, um, you know, and innovated in the, in, in the, you know, the technical aspects of animation and just brought it to a whole new level and leaving all the other ones behind. And that's just, that's just not going to happen. I mean, you, you can't even, you can't even poach animators from those studios. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, hmm, that was a, a way longer answer than I was planning. I to know. Give <laughs> but no, not in our lifetimes. So what is up with all these live action remakes? This is where I think Disney is poor, is doing some pretty poor management. Of course, I better watch what I say. I could be working on one of these films in the future. <laughs> but why? Because it makes money. You're right. You know? <laughs> People make Disney out to be this like benevolent, angelic, like it's like if Steve Jobs, if, it's like if the if it if it was like the Earth's population's perception of Steve Jobs was embodied in an animation studio as this like angelic, amazing powerhouse that could never do anything wrong. That's Disney Studios, and um, you know what? It, it, Disney plays the game, plays the money game, just like everyone else who's trying to capitalize on their property. And um, as long as people don't refuse to go and spend ticket money on it, it's going to keep coming. Like I said it on Twitter, if you want these uh, these remakes and these reboots and these mindless sequels to stop, don't give them the, your ticket money. Don't give them your red box money or your, your rental money for Amazon because, um, because th- that means you're just supporting what they're, what they're doing and, and they'll see the money that they've made and they'll make more. I'm making Disney to turn out, I'm, I'm making Disney look like this whole, like horrible studio, but they're, but they're not, of course, you know, I mean, we know Disney, but I, I am confused and I'm kind of disappointed with all these live action Disney remakes. But it's like Morgan said, they make money, so. Who's to stop them? So of the past remakes, I mean, we've, it's not, this isn't a new thing at all. I mean, we've oh, had like the Jungle Book from 1994, um, 101 Dalmatians, which honestly I thought was a great, I like great the first success. One, yeah. Excellent villain, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, as mentioned before, you had Geppetto and then Alice in Wonderland, which was, you know, not that too long ago. That one was cute. Ah, 
wasn't a fan. Um, then Maleficent, which, you know, to some it's awesome. Not a fan. And to others, we're not fans. Um, <laughs> and then, um, Cinderella, which just came out, which I am a huge fan of. I loved that movie. Um, hmm. so, you know, it just depends on how they do it for me. Yeah. What do we got now? We got Alice in Wonder. Oh, we did Alice in Wonderland, but now there's a sequel coming out, right? Right. Then we got Dumbo, ugh, Mulan, okay, Winnie the Pooh. How are they going to do that? Like, we what shall this? see. It's just going to turn out to be Ted three, and then uh, and now Pinocchio, but and also age and, and also Ultron, you know, and then uh, Pizza Dragon, Beauty and the Beast, of course. Uh, Ewan McGregor just got uh, cast as Lumiere, so I love that's Ewan okay. McGregor. It's okay. Uh, I think I love Lumiere better. <laughs> but um, I just I always think of Moulin Rouge book. when I think of him and singing. So I'm like, if it's I, I just love that movie. Anyway, yeah, hey, McGregor's pretty good. He was a great Obi Wan. You know, going about this, you know, talking about these remakes, they've this isn't a new thing for Disney. Like Chelsea said, they have done remakes since you know the 90s. Like you it's know, not junk- the, but the, the sheer volume. Now. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. If Disney had spaced these announcements out instead of doing maybe four or five within a month, I don't think we would have known if they did this every six months. They announced a new one, and then you know some other other films announced as well that are non remakes. But the fact that the only thing they seem to be announcing at this point in time are remakes is making people very frightened. What is going on? What is the studio thinking? This is a bad idea. And I think it was just, like Mason said, sheer volume and timing. If they would have spaced this out a little bit, I think we would have not have had this reaction. Well, I mean, five years ago, in general, we would have never believed the sheer amount of volume that is coming from all entertainment outlets now. I mean, just just plug in, uh, you know, just turn on Hulu or... Or Netflix, you know, it's it's like every every month there's a new Netflix original series out. You know, all these movies are coming out. You know, indie filmmaking is 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 healthy and it's thriving. And there's just so much content to choose from. It's insane. It's almost yeah. overwhelming. But anyway, this is just part of Disney's strategy. It's it's you know, they know that people will go spend their money on this. Mm-hmm. I will make. I will. I will keep doing my silent protest against them, but of course I will see the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies. Don't they? Don't have to worry about that. But, um, Start to slide, give a little whistle, give a little whistle, and always let your conscience be your guide. so much for joining us for yet another exciting episode of the Animation Addicts podcast as we are talking about Pinocchio today. If you're wanting to get any of the show notes, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash 93. If you're looking to download you know, the, the movie, if you want to go to and download the soundtrack or even see any of the notes that we were talking about, oh, and Morgan's Instagram and all those fun things, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash 93. And then also be sure to leave us your comments and tell us what you thought of Pinocchio, what you thought of the podcast, anything that you'd like to add. We love to hearing from you guys and we love to kind of talk with you guys back and forth. Also, if you want to tweet about this episode, make sure to use the hashtag AnimAddicts. And then if you want to tweet about this specific episode, do hashtag AnimAddicts93. Uh, we love being able to talk with you guys on Twitter and get the tweets going. As once mentioned before, also you can head on to DisneyQuotes.com if you want to find out any of the fantastic quotes. If you're like, hey, 
Um, who said that? Or, hey, what is my favorite quote from Bambi? Uh, DisneyQuotes.com has it for you. And also, thank you so much once again to our fantastic fans who were able to send in voicemails. If you want to get on the show, we want to hear your voicemails. Honestly, like we've made some of our best friends from hearing you guys on the show. It's really hard for us to like see you guys as real people until we hear your voices. It's just like, ah, it's so much better than just like a, a thumbnail. So please, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to call us, give us a call at 606-646-6575. Or you can just go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. Also, if you want to support the show, you can head on over to rotoscopers.com slash Amazon, rotoscopers.com slash Audible for all of your audiobooks. We also have a store and some amazing t-shirts that you definitely want to try out. Uh, Morgan and I wear our t-shirts all the time. Mason loves his as well. We've got a sidebar on the website as well. You can see other fans who have purchased their t-shirts and are showing them off with pride. Um, if you go to iTunes, you're able to download this episode if you found us on the website. Or you can also find us on Stitcher Radio. Both of those are excellent sources. And make sure to give us a like or comment. Like, for example, on iTunes, if you give us a comment, uh, then that also helps us be found in the iTunes world. Like, nobody knows how it works. But <laughs> we do know that comments and you know, people rating us, it does help. And also we do want to give a shout out to our, the latest people who have actually been so kind and given us five-star reviews. We have, um, Seashores, Mr. Bearcat, Casey Nicole 88, at D-G-E-S-K-E. And then we've got iMagic12, K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-
It'll be great. So check it out.、Uh, definitely watch it beforehand. Use our Amazon links to rent it before, so you can. That's what we do. Chelsea and I, Mason, we rent the video and we just watch it on Amazon. It's a great way to watch the film before the podcast. So check it out. Get ready. It's gonna be good. It seems like every episode we have furs gonna fly, and this one it's sparks gonna fly. <laughs> All right, guys. Until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. What kind of computer is it? Well, it's a desktop. I I picked out my motherboard, my、uh, video card. My video card is so powerful; it's named after an Egyptian god. <laughs> See, and I'm the Ra. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's just a minor god. It, it should be named after Ra. What takes my laptop 36 minutes to render now takes three or four minutes on my desktop、oh, to render. Oh, now I feel so powerful. So powerful. You know what I do to break my voice so that I have like a nicer, like a nicer voice. voice? I sing "Born in the USA" by Bruce Springsteen at the top of my lungs. <laughs> it like breaks it so that I you can. You know all the tricks. So Pinocchio was actually. Hold on, I have like. Forty tabs, and the one I'm looking for is missing. Where are you? Everybody,、okay. freeze! We have a missing tab. Gotcha. Okay, Look、fine. around you. Do you see the tab? It's silver. People used to put them on necklaces.、Oh. They're found on soda cans.、Hmm. Oh, right, right. am I supposed to go? <laughs> oh, that's usually what awkward pauses mean. Yeah, it means Chelsea's supposed to say something. <laughs> Morgan, is your、uh, mic muted or something? No, sorry. So. <laughs> I there's this. New I didn't know if called, we were gonna have one of those this episode. There's this new pa- app called Periscope, where basically you live stream anything that's going on. <laughs> and I just did a Periscope, and but it's not cool to live stream a like podcast where you can only hear me. And so I was like doing the Periscope, but basically it, it live streams it and it doesn't record the video. So like people have to tune in, and I had like 26 people tuning in, and I was like, what? What's happening? But then I was like, this is really boring because Mason and Chelsea are talking. So I was trying to do like screenshots of like my screens, and then and then I was trying to like turn it off. So that's why I haven't been talking for the past like five minutes because I was like, oh, that's fine. But that's that's our plug for Periscope. We should all Periscope the next one so people can hear all three of our conversations. And they have to、Anyways. tune in all at the same time. Yeah, to all、so、three. Yes, they can actually hear. <laughs> oh, that'd Because, be cool. Because yeah, you guys were talking, and it it wasn't my turn to talk, and I was just like. Wow, I picked the worst time to start my Periscope because I'm not talking. Yeah, that's why I, I was inter- interjecting about、uh, Strumpoli's butt and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't and, think my phone could handle something like that, but yeah, that'd be cool. I want to live stream my life. Check it out. Force people, everyone to check it out. Follow. So, anyway. Follow for a follow. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Do you want me to just start over then? No. Okay. <laughs> so thunder tube it.